You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today, uh, you're listening to episode 343, and today is Monday, uh, December 24th. That's Christmas Eve, uh, in case you were unaware of that. Um, and uh, so tonight, we have a we have a bit of a special episode. Uh, I'm Jason. Rob's not here because he's sick, so I'm just going to talk to myself the whole time. Please don't turn it off. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you can hear a laugh there. We're fortunate enough that we actually had a guest booked already, uh, and it was a guest that I like, so that made me even happier. It wasn't some schmuck that Rob invited on, like Matt Riddle or something, and I had to deal with it. Uh, it's actually somebody I, I enjoy talking to. So, um, yeah, right now we have here with us uh, Chris Michaud, also better known, of course, as your moderator, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason, it's been about 43 episodes since we've talked. Indeed it has. And uh, we kind of had this standing rule, like Rob said to me last week, hey, Chris wants to come on the show again. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) if you ask to come on the show, you get to come on the show. Um, You know, some people, they're like... It's nice to poke my head out of of, uh, obscurity. You know, right. a couple times a year and, and come and visit. So well, you are always um, welcome and, and to do that. It's always warm and welcoming on building the game. So I, I very much appreciate it. We, we mostly put all the hate towards each other. Um, and of course, Matt Riddle. But other than that, we're mostly we're nice guys. So we uh, we try very hard to be polite to our guests. So um, not scare them away. Well, thanks for trying. <laughs> you know, every, every time you say Matt Riddle, um, I get confused because I know Matt Riddle is a game designer, but Matt Riddle is also a professional wrestler. Oh, oh, yeah. Just started on WWE TV recently. If you saw them so both now, in person. I scroll through my Twitter feed right. and I follow a lot of wrestling people and a lot of gaming people, and I can never tell which one they're talking about when they tweet about Matt Riddle. So Yeah, I'm pretty confident that they don't look alike. Because um, the other <laughs> Matt Riddle's probably taller and like super, like super muscular. So, and, um, you know, that's just my guess. Uh, Matt Riddle is, I think Matt Riddle is too short to be a stormtrooper and a wrestler. That's my guess. I can't say anything because I also fall in that category, but, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that guessing that's the case. Now, now Ben Pinchback, he could be a wrestler all day. That guy's like seven feet tall, you know, basically a lumberjack. Beekeeper. How is he with a chair? I would actually, Matt Riddle, I would actually believe could hit you with a chair when you weren't looking. That sounds like him. So he may have that down. Yeah. Right. But he's but is he smart enough, though, to wait for you to shrug your shoulders so that it'll distribute the weight of the blow and not take your head off. That's the real question. I think he is smart enough to do that, but I don't think he actually would. I think he would just, <laughs> just smash okay, you so, with so it. So you're saying he works a little bit stiff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. I'll, uh, I'll. If I ever run into him at a convention someday, on the unlikely chance that happens, uh, I will keep my shoulders shrugged at all times. That's a good idea. Good idea. Okay. Better safe than sorry, as they say. <laughs> so, uh, so what's uh, what's been going on with you uh, lately here up in Maine? Up in Maine, I am continuing to enjoy podcast retirement. Um, I'll just get the plug out of the way right now. I used to do a podcast called Flip the Table, which is available at tableflipsu.com. You can listen to the complete series right there. And you weird should. Obscure board games. Yeah, you probably should because uh, I've listened to it enough times. Somebody else should take a turn. <laughs> um, so 
so lately, and especially in the last six months, you know, I've, I've kind of slowly gotten more into regular board gaming, and, and I've really started to visit a lot of games that I really like. Um, and and I find myself even like stripping back expansions out of them that I used to play with, and trying to get back to that core oh, nice. experience. And and that's been kind of fun. So I've been playing kind of a more simplified uh, Battlestar Galactica. With, with, so I we used to play with like all the stuff. And now we play with some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on top of that, I'm watching uh, a lot of Cutthroat Kitchen lately. Oh, Cutthroat Kitchen! I've not seen that. So what's the uh, what's the the kind of the shtick on that one? Oh my goodness, this uh, show is great. So it's uh, hosted by Alton Brown, um, who is the world's greatest TV chef, in my opinion. Um, did a show called Good Eats, which basically taught me to cook. Like that's how I learned adult cooking skills was watching that show. You'd even um, say he's better than, than like a Guy Fieri. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't absolutely. Resist. I almost that's, had it with uh, a straight face. Almost had it with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't bite into the side of an ice cream cone like Guy Fieri, but right. Um, I mean, but who does? You know, right. Um, so hosted by Alton Brown, and uh, this is a show where it's a sort of a one hour competition cooking show where he will present a dish that the four chefs have to make and then he will offer sabotages for auction so what that means is each chef gets $25,000 at the beginning of the show and Alton Brown will say something like uh, you have to make ice cream but if you win this auction uh, we will confiscate all your milk and then make you milk this cow to get your milk like that kind of thing did Um, that actually happen on the show? Um, that okay? Stuff like that happens. Like the, the example that I can think of is they had to make devil's food cake, but one chef had to harvest all their chocolate from a bag of Halloween candy from from like the devil. Like actually had to like right. fight the devil for the chocolate. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they it was a fist fight. It was it was gross and brutal. Sounds fantastic. Um, but but no, it's like all these sort of wacky like you know they'll make you take away all your pots and pans. You have to cook in something weird, or you'll have to do something that wastes a bunch of time or stuff like that. And so the only prize money you keep is anything that you did not spend throughout the competition. So you have to decide how much of your prize money you're willing to give up to make other people deal with these sabotages. Uh, and and at the end of the show, you only keep what you, you keep. Um, and then chefs are eliminated one by one throughout the show until one chef is, is standing. Um, and... What I really like about the show is is it sounds like just reality garbage, right? Like, we're going to torture people for fun on TV. Um, but there's something about Alton Brown's presentation and sort of the way that the cooks on the show behave where everybody's kind of taking it in good fun. Like, it's a serious competition, but nobody is weeping over life-changing money being lost, right? right? Um, so So... People will do stupid things like the very first auction of the show, and there's usually about seven of them throughout the hour. If they really don't want it, they'll be like $10,000 just right out of the gate. You know, more than half of their money, they'll throw it away. Um, and then it's interesting watching them sort of overcome whatever and find creative solutions to to deal with whatever sabotage they're dealing with. Um, so uh, we're tearing through that on Hulu right now. We, we I kind of put it on on Thanksgiving so I could watch something that, wouldn't like traumatize my daughter, but that would make me feel okay. And, uh, and it worked out pretty well. So, uh, so we're enjoying that a lot. So basically watching, uh, cutthroat kitchen and, uh, playing some old board games. That's really what I've been up to. That's fantastic. So cutthroat kitchen is on Hulu. So I, I'm probably going to watch all of those now. That sounds amazing. 
Um, you probably should. And, I, and it's like the middle five seasons or something, which is weird, but there's enough you'll, you'll be going right. for a while. I also kind of want now to design a board game where at the beginning of the game, all the players get 100 points and then have to choose to spend those points to not lose. Like, And at the end of the game, the number of points you have left, that's what determines the winner. Um, that just sounds really fun. I feel like there's a game there, uh, you know, and uh, and of course it's different when there's real money on the line, right? Because you might right, not right. spend your money because then that's real money you get to keep in real life. But I'm sure there's some way you could wrap something like that into a board game where it was kind of a race to the bottom uh, and you had to decide how many you want to sacrifice to deal with certain things. Maybe there's a dexterity game in there. Who knows? But, right. Well, you could um, do it like with like, a, like everybody starts with 100, right? But then it's you. Nobody know you don't know what the person has after that, right? You've got like a, some sort of a, a shield that that blocks it, right? Uh, some sort sure. of screen, right? And then as you play, you're spending that money to do things and to maybe sabotage others and stuff, right? Uh, but nobody knows how much you're actually spending. So you're, and then there would be points where you'd be, of course, required to spend money to do something. Um, but that could be. God, oh, that sounds like fun, actually. I don't know. I, I feel like there's something there because if it because is if it wasn't an out loud auction, like if you just passed a bag around, and then or, you know some some way to hide that information. Um, right. I don't know how you do that with right. board build. I mean, there's a way you can work it out, but it, it would be interesting if nobody really knew what the total were until the end, and then you pull back your shield and see who has the most money. I think right. there's something there. That is not my pitch tonight. No, no. Well, I good, really good, because it, it would have been embarrassing if I was like, "Oh, sorry, I just stole your pitch." Because so, yeah. <laughs> we, we just have it out of the way. We do the show backwards tonight. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, I, I also uh, came to plug something, too. I yes. have to uh, confess. Yeah. That's um, okay. We so, plug stuff, so go for it. So Rob mentioned this uh, last show, and, uh, and I'm here to mention it again, that there was a game that he worked on called Retail Rejects, which he did all of the art and graphic design for. Yes. Um, and Retail Retail Rejects is designed by the folks from Cardboard Edison, which is an amazing game design resource that uh, every listener of this show should be following if they're interested in game design. Absolutely. Um, and so they made the official flip the table card game. They, they kind of offered it up as, as you know, we've designed this game. We want to kind of blend it with flip the table's theme. And it turned out to be a fun little 15-minute card game about uh, collecting weird games and trying to build the best and most diverse bad game collection right um it's, it's got some really neat drafting and set collection mechanisms in there um so it's a smart game uh but it also has a lot of really sharp humor on the cards because every card is a parody of a board game uh with this amazing hilarious art that rob did for each of these like there's one game called vcr salad bowl yeah the photo is just a salad with two vhs tapes sitting in it and the blurb on the front is it's exactly what you would expect uh, so like, or there's a uh, there's a parody of Power Grid called Burger Grill, and I don't know how he did it, but he illustrated a parody cover of uh, of Power Grid, but some frying burgers on a grill. Um, and the reason I mention that is because for the first time, this is now available to the general public. Before you could only get it if you were a Patreon supporter or Flip the Table or Cardboard Edison, but now. You can go to pnparcade.com. That's Paul, Nancy Paul, arcade.com. And you can buy it for three lousy bucks uh, and get the print and play files and, and construct a copy at home. And uh, really cool. I, I thought, 
what a great excuse to go hang out with Rob and Jason. We can plug this game that just came out and is available to everybody now. And uh, and so if you haven't checked it out, I mean, three bucks, you know, you, you can punt uh, on that. And if uh, if you Google around a little bit, you can see pictures of some of the cards are really amazing. It's worth it for the art alone. But then the game inside is really, really solid and a lot of fun. Yeah, I think three dollars is, you know, like. It, that's worth paying that for the art for the game or for the jokes like <laughs> on their own like so like uh the the art mends so well uh with the zinsley's uh design of this game it's a yes. really great set collection game and it's not often that you get a game with uh with that level of humor that is supported by really great replayable gameplay right um, and of course i'm a little biased you know i you know i'm gonna say positive things about this because it's it's tied in with flip the table and that's close to my heart, but but I wouldn't say these things if I didn't believe them. I, I think it's a really great game, especially for three lousy bucks. Right? Yeah. No. I I um I got to play it. Gosh, was it last year at Gen Con or Origins? Might have been Origins. I, I got I played it once and uh, with the Zinsleys and oh my gosh, it was so much fun. The um yeah the the humor <laughs> the humor does not get stale. So. Uh, uh, I very much enjoyed reading through that, and yeah, the, uh, the art on the cards, the, the design robbed in is is pretty ridiculous and, and very entertaining. Absolutely, and and so and of course we can say nice things about Rob because he's not here. Uh, exactly, so we got to get this out of the way because he's not going to listen to this episode. It's, he's not here, so he doesn't care. Right. Um. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's like gonna. He has to edit it, but uh, he doesn't actually have to listen to it. Right. You know, he, I think he's just going to leave it on in the background while he does other stuff and just listen for basically swearing and if he happens to pick that up he'll cut that out but it'll just right. not pay attention otherwise and, and frankly he um, probably will miss that most of the time so <laughs> but yeah so that's that's my uh, ulterior motive is, is to pitch you to go check out retail rejects um uh, pnparcade.com uh do not miss out on the opportunity to, to check out this game yeah and i i looked at pnp arcade uh after uh rob had just mentioned you were going to come on the show and uh took a peek around uh there's a lot of really good stuff out there that's really cool there's a lot of really good stuff yeah. on there there's there's a solo game that is pinball themed there's a few of them actually uh which is like a roll and write game so you're trying to like create pinball combinations um there's there's a couple of other games by the zindleys there's a bunch of button shy games on there um so this is like high quality high caliber print and play games and, and to be honest uh, i'm a little bit inspired by it because for me personally, the idea of, of making a prototype on Game Crafter is a little intimidating, right? Because you right. spend so much money to get your proofs back before you decide it's ready for the general public. And uh, and if you know what you're doing, and I often don't, um, you might proofs that you're not happy with, and, and hey, that's the product you uploaded, so that's what you get back, right? Right, um, right. So whereas PNP Arcade, you know, you can just uh, print it at home, and if it looks good, then you, know, you can reach out and pitch it, and if they take it, then... Uh, then you've got a uh, product out there that will uh, hopefully sell and make you a little money. So um, yeah. very generous publisher terms on there too. For the game designers out there, it's well worth looking at their publisher terms. I think it's very fair uh, sort of compensation for what you're putting up there, and, uh, and and it's very designer friendly, from my personal opinion. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Is that does did ta- does Tagmire have something to do with that site? Yes. Yes, okay. he's uh, he's involved with that very much, and uh, and that's another one of the reasons why I, I trust that it's it's a good resource because oh, I've known Jason for a long time. Yeah, he's he's a smart guy, and, and he's a creative guy. I, I, he always comes up with these neat ideas and new ways to present games in these sort of small, portable, on demand 
formats. He's really zigging where everybody else is zagging, and and this is just another example right. of that. No, I, I agree that um you know and that's yeah that website that's a fantastic resource and uh, now I kind of want Rob to uh, to put the files together and put our game up there the BTG CCG so you should do that I mean, yeah Rob do that Rob come on Rob buddy. you're not here but if you're listening to this during editing don't bleep this out this is your reminder because because Tagmire likes us you know he'll put that up there. And, uh, right. and and there's no demand for the game at all, but I mean, we, it'll take you 15 minutes to put those files together, buddy. Come on. Get her done. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. You can do it, Rob. We believe in you. That, um, that, was a, that was a fun experiment, too, like being able to just put out our own CCG. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that I guess one of the cool things about a website like that is that really opens up doors for somebody to have a little idea, you know what I mean? And not need a ton of artwork for it because it's a small game and be able to put it up there for print and play. And um, and frankly, Tagmire's types of games are, uh, and I mean that positively, are fantastic games for print and pl- for the print and play market, right? Because there's so little to create, um, right. you know? With the wallet games, I mean, uh, you know, a couple of pages, you slice them up pretty easily. That That's another right. thing that turns a lot of people off of print and play games is that if it's too big and it's too elaborate, then you're doing a lot of work and uh, and then it, right. it becomes diminishing returns after a certain point. You know, your average wallet game, what, 18 cards? Um, so you get that on, you know, three, four sheets, which you can do in 15 minutes. You know, that's 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 not bad. As, as long as you have enough color ink in your printer, you're good to go. Right. Well, in 18 cards, I mean, you can actually print that. Uh, you can actually print that on uh, two sheets of paper. So, uh, right. Yeah. And so that that ain't bad. That's no. uh, so that's. That's a quick assembly, um, so you're not like doing like origami and like folding a bunch of stuff and getting pasteboard and all this stuff that you right. do in some print plays. Right. Um, you can if you want. I mean, if it makes you happy, if you're yeah. a crafty person. Um, I lose patience very quickly. Like I, I tried to make, and then we held hands years ago, and uh, my copy did not look good. Uh, it was the <laughs> ugliest. And then we held hands ever. Like the cards were a third of the size they should have been. And uh, and my color printer uh, did not print them out very well, and it was it was quite an experience to try to play that. Right. Yeah. That sounds uh, that sounds frustrating. Yeah. I being a game designer and making I mean you know a gajillion prototypes. I um the idea of making an eighteen card game sounds incredibly refreshing to me, um because you know it's so easy and most of the stuff I do is. Uh, 72 90 cards somewhere in there um so that's always cutting out all the stuff and uh yeah yeah. and if you've got cardstock and sleeves like that makes it even easier to just print something throw it you know on the cardstock throw it in a sleeve um yeah yeah, no i I love that um and you know what i love something years ago with uh with prototyping that was kind of a revelation to me which was, was not bothering to put a card in the sleeve and just putting the paper in the sleeve and i was like why was i wasting all that time on prototypes. Right. Like, yep. Um, yeah, I know. It makes them easy to shovel. If you're going to play it a hundred times, you know, right. that's one thing. But if it's a prototype, you're going to test a few times and then change, then uh, it's right. a different story. Yeah. If I, um, like when I was was doing some different word games and stuff uh, on in prototype form, I was printing those on normal paper because I didn't care if the cards were a little floppy. It really wasn't, you know, 
Um, but for the, I usually use the cardstock for the like my. If I'm going to show a publisher a prototype or something, I will put it on cardstock just because it's uh, right. It's a little. When it's time to pitch it, now you're you're in a different ball game. But when you're in those initial stages, yeah, just make it ugly and right, and just keep doing it. So believe it or not, I actually brought a topic. Uh, we kind of got off onto a fun tangent there, but uh, but uh, but I, I brought a thing to talk about that might be interesting. Oh, people. all right, let's talk about that. I didn't even know that. This is a surprise to me. Fantastic. I know. I mean, I was having fun uh, doing sales pitches for people, but I figure uh, now that everybody's tuned out, everybody who's stuck with us can actually get the content now. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Um, I was thinking about, and I thought it might be fun to discuss, when a game has a winning strategy that is completely within the rules of the game, but that kind of goes against the spirit of the game. And I thought that might be fun to talk about, from a player perspective and a, and a designer perspective as well, because I think there's some uh, uh, some interesting food for thought in there. I'll give a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Um, what kind of got me on this train a little bit was I've, I've been playing a little bit of Magic again uh, with Professor Laserbooks and a small group locally, um, and they play the Commander format. Uh, uh, and I won't get okay. into all the details of it. You know, it's uh, but it's intended to be a more casual format, right? Okay. The way that ga- decks are constructed is intended to be a more sort of way to play without like first turn wins and, and having to have really expensive decks. Like you can build a good deck on a budget, it plays a little bit differently every time, and it's intended for you know Thursday night if you want to play with your friends and shoot the breeze and play some magic. But uh, cool, that um, actually sounds a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun. Every single card in your deck is unique. You have exactly ninety nine cards plus one commander in your deck. Um, so it's it's harder to build those like killer combinations. You, you kind of have a little harder time like buying your way into a good deck, right? Right. Um, so these guys, they're great players, and uh, I don't own a single Magic card anymore. But they've built enough decks, so I just go and I'll borrow one of theirs and I'll have a good time with it. And uh, and I overheard a conversation after the game where one of the players was saying, "Man, I." Uh, I had to put that card in the deck. I really didn't want to, but it was the only way I could get the deck to work. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, and I just had a discussion with them where I learned that in many commander groups and, and in our local group, cards that dig for other cards are frowned upon because it breaks the casual spirit of the game. Oh, so sure. They, That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So in magic, they call it tutoring. Like if you can go just get whatever card you want, then you're back to a place where you can build those killer combinations earlier in the game. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and so, and there are a lot of cards in magic that do that. So a lot of casual players have this sort of unspoken agreement. We're not going to use those cards. And I Googled that a little bit and there's a little bit of debate about it, whether, you know, like in competitive play, it's a different story. Um, but it's, it's something that uh, a lot of command don't like because it, they, that's not what they signed up for with the game. It's perfectly legal. It's not banned. But it's frowned upon, right? Right, right. Uh, another example. Um, I was in uh, an escape room group on Facebook, and there was a thread the other day about uh, people complaining that they are designers, they are owners of rooms, and players were brute forcing their locks, meaning doing things that are not solving clues to get the combination to a lock. An example would be, I've got three out of four numbers, and I just keep trying the ten numbers on the dial until I get the right one for the last one. Um, and, and there was debate about that, whether that's in the spirit of escape rooms or not, like, should you be forced to solve that puzzle or as a player, is it, 
you know, your right to to just do that if you want, as long as you're not literally taking bolt cutters to the lock. Like, Definitely you know, frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, Jeopardy, another example. Um, the A lot of players will go from top to bottom in each category, but really expert players and players who make a lot of money will bounce all over the board early in the game looking for the daily doubles, and, and they do that to keep the other players off balance and to try to get the daily doubles for themselves. A lot right. of people, Alex Trebek included, don't like that because the writers write the clues so that they have a flow from top to bottom, and if you're watching at home, it breaks that flow, right? Um, and, and I suppose I should give a board game example. This is a board game podcast, right? Um, Last time I checked. I could be wrong, yeah. though, honestly. We, we, <laughs> I mean, you'd be just as at home if you were talking about Marvel, so... Right. <laughs> I'm sure there's a great Marvel example. I mean, but, it's like uh, it's like the Infinity Gauntlet, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's a game-breaking strategy right there. Exactly. Um, but uh, a few acres of snow... You know, there's that debate a few years ago about there is a particular strategy that if you employ it, you're almost guaranteed to win. And, you know, is that bad? And, and should that be included in the game? Does it break the game? Should you just never look that up? And the same problem is in Connect 4, by the way, where that game is solved. And if you know a certain pattern, you'll tie or win every time if you play by that sequence. Um, so, um, so that got me thinking a little bit about that, you know, and how, I, how do I feel as a player when I'm, I'm in a game and I'm just doing my best to win and, you know, I want to play competitively and I want to play against other people who are playing competitively. And, and sometimes I get frustrated when people say, oh, that's a cheap strategy and you shouldn't do it. And, and my first instinct is to say, no, no, I'm playing the game to win. Um, but at the same time, I can imagine as a designer that if somebody figures something out that is completely within the constraints of your game, like they, they, there's no question that it's, within the rules of the game, but it doesn't execute what you want the game to do, how frustrating that can be. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, so I'll, I'll give a board game example um, that, that can totally happen. Um, Water balloon washout. Um, if you want to, uh, on the first round in a four player game with the right card combination, the first three players can gang up on the fourth player and take them out before they get a turn. Like that can actually happen with the right combo of cards. Um, and uh, I was talking to someone about that. And uh, and I said, you know, somebody that they could do this. And they said, well, those aren't the people you want to play games with. Because clearly they don't understand the spirit of the game. And I was like, well, that's, that's right. fair. But I also get that, you know, that's to me, that's, you know, that's a little different. I mean, you're ganging up. I, I guess that I feel like, you know, if it's agreed upon, like the, the tutoring thing, that's a great, great example. Like in, in magic, like if, if everybody kind of says ahead of time, we're not going to do that and you do that, then you're a jerk, right? Um, I mean, you're there to have fun. You're not there to, to be big and competitive, right? You're there to have fun. And um, I think too, like the few acres of snow reference, if you're saying, hey, listen, we understand this strategy is killer. Um, let's not do that. Like, okay, great. But um, another example I can give that I actually did, and um, and it's one of the things that turned me off from Marvel Dice Masters, was um, when I was playing that game uh, consistently, and I've talked about it before on the show, we we played uh, tournaments, um, uh, and we did like I don't know, six tournaments or something. In those six tournaments, I lost a total of one game. Wow. Um. And here's here's why I played the exact same deck every time. Deck was completely broken. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and I still got first place every time. Um, but uh, it was just, it was stupid, right? I mean, like, and you know, Rob or somebody said, why don't, why don't you play with a different deck? I said, well, it's because there's unique prizes and the only way to get them is to get first or second. Um, and I, I want to get them. Like, <laughs> that's why I'm playing these tournaments because right. I want these prizes. Um, and uh, it just kind of, like, the, when, when the second edition came out, the, the second set of dice came out, they said, oh, they fixed the problems with that deck you're using. I said, oh, great. So the guy said, look, I made a deck that'll counter that. And we, we played it and I steamrolled him. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm done playing this. Like, <laughs> like I don't need... Here, here's, here's the best part. So uh, about that was really against the spirit of the game. And kind of, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of a dick move on my part. But again, if it's actual competitive play and not just friends, I'm not going to apologize for for playing well, right? You know, if I'm right. if we're paying money to enter and I want to win, I'm going to do my best to win. I mean, that, and I, I think that's fair. Um it's not like a board game night with your friends, you know. Um but anyways, uh the we we would do was drafting, right? You would bring like four of four or five of your own cards and dice and then you would draft uh out of packs for the the other half of your deck. Something close to that. I literally didn't care what I got in the packs because I wasn't going to use any of it. I would put it in my deck and wow. pretend, but I never used it. There was no reason to. Uh, the only why, thing, would, why would you? Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's real money, real prizes on the line. Right. Um, you, you are paying for the privilege of entering this tournament. So I, I agree with you. And, and I right. do think that's something to be considered. You know, when it's, uh, when it's a tournament environment, when it's competitive play, you, you are drawing a certain kind of magic circle there that says everybody is going to play to win this thing, to right. get the prizes. You know, that is the goal that everybody shares here. Right. And if it's, I guess it's saying like, if it's a legal play, um, a legal, not illegal, if it's a legal play, then you should do it. Right. Um, and that's right. kind of like the Jeopardy thing, right? Like if Alex Trebek and the producers are really that razzed about it, like then just change the rules and say, you can't do that. Say that exactly. if you begin a category, they so you, they, they can't be that wound up about it. But, right. Uh, Alex Trebek, uh, from everything I've heard, it's kind of gets annoyed by a lot of stuff. So <laughs> you can kind of tell when you watch Jeopardy, which is also on Hulu now. Wow. Which is yeah. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Um, a gajillion episodes, I bet. Yeah. It's, it's like tournaments and stuff, which is nice. Uh, oh, that is cool. I, I, I could go on and on about that. It'll take us too far off track. But uh, yeah, it, just hit me up on Twitter. I'll talk to you about Jeopardy all you want. <laughs> so, um, but I think, but I think what you're getting at though is if you're playing a friendly game, right? And you know that, um, that there is a strategy that is like an always win strategy or a strategy that makes the game unfun for everyone else. Right. Um, then, then yeah, I mean, that's, if you're choosing to do that, you're choosing to make everyone else's fun less. Right. Which is kind of crappy. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a fuzzy line, right? Because you want everybody to be on the same page with that. Like, like if we haven't established that before the game, you know, part of the joy of, of playing a game for me is finding the best way to play what I've got. And, you know, if, if we haven't talked about that before the game, um, then I don't want to hear any complaints about how that strategy was cheap or this or that. Like, like, if I'm beating on somebody just to beat on them, if I'm not earnestly playing in good faith to win, that's one thing. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if we discover, like, like with Battlestar Galactica, I was talking about earlier in, in the show... Um, we discovered, at least 
in our experience that uh, there's a board called the Cylon Fleet Board, which uh, instead of randomly putting the bad guy ships into play for you to fight, um, it sort of puts them on a map and then they jump in. And so you can kind of see a little bit what's going to happen. The reason that I bring that up is that it's got a couple of spaces on the board that at the end of the game, it seemed like several games in a row, no matter what happened in the first couple of hours of the game, the Cylon strategy was always to play this one same space on that board, and it was always the best move. And it was something that shoves backwards the humans a little bit, so it creates kind of a loop that slows the game way down at the end. And and so we had to kind of make that agreement to redraw our magic circle and say, you know, we we can't use this board anymore because it's it's not giving us what we want from the game. Right. Um, So... You know, but but if you're in that game, you gotta you gotta play your best game, and uh, and and there are players who get frustrated if you're not doing that. You know, and and so, you know, social rules aside, you know, I I think uh, as a game designer, I, I think it's something to be very wary of. Yes, I, I think it uh, speaks to the value of playtesting and and playtesting with people who are looking for those exploits and looking for those. You know, why wouldn't I just do this every turn? strategies um so that you can try to design as much of that out of your game and and make it so that players don't have to sort of smudge the magic circle a little bit right and that that's actually something when i'm play testing with certain people i will do on purpose i do that with rob a lot where he'll be showing me a new game and we'll play it a couple times and i say okay this time i'm going to try and do this like i'll just tell him ahead of time i'm going to try and break the game by doing this and then if it works, like we had one time we were playing one of his newer games and it, it worked like, I mean, I slaughtered him and it was like, okay, that that's a problem. Like we need to fix that. Right. And there are other times when I'm like, I'm going to do this because I think it's going to break your game. And then like, I just get demolished. I'm like, okay, nope. The game's intact. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like that, you know, um, wh- one of the things I've seen in resource collection games is where somebody will just be like, I'm just going to go for this one resource until it's gone. And then be like, sorry about your luck, right? Um, and that's going to grind the game to a halt, you know? Um, that, that said, I've seen like Splendor is a good example where, um, have you played Splendor? I have. So when you, you know, when you draw a card, when you just take a card, you get to take a, uh, a, a gold, right? A wild. Um, okay. And uh, I found I was playing a four player game. And so this has never happened to me. Normally it's my wife and I playing. I'm playing a four player game and I realized that if I took a card that I didn't even really care about, uh, I was going to take the last gold and I had like four gold and I could just hold those for a few turns and then no one would be able to get gold for drawing cards and the other players seemed to like to draw cards. So I did that and I just waited a few turns and they grumbled and one of them actually took a card without getting nothing and then I and they both had three cards in their hand so they couldn't take any more and then I spent all my gold in one turn <laughs> and, and built something good. <laughs> Um, like, uh, you know, a strategy like that, I didn't stop the game from happening, right? They had choices. I gave them choices. I just gave them suboptimal choices, which to me coming from the competitive gaming side, like that's, that's your goal in most games is can I give the the opponent a suboptimal choice, um, that makes the game less fun, right? Not, sorry, that's sorry. That makes them less likely to win. Not that makes the game less fun. (laughs) Unless unless winning is their only fun, and then I promise you it will make the game less fun. Uh, but uh, um, but you know, like a game where uh, 
like where resources are, you know, if, if I don't get this resource, I can't do anything. And then creating a scenario where it's impossible for them to get the resource by like hoarding it or something. That's, you know, um, actually a great example in, uh, in like competitive miniatures games that I've played is turtling. Uh, which you can do in all sorts of games, right? Are you familiar with right. the term? Yeah, where you you bulk up and then you just sit somewhere and wait and make it's them the, uh, the Madagascar strategy. No, not Madagascar, Australia. Right, like right, right, right. You know, where you just you just bulk up, bulk up, and just don't do anything, and then people get frustrated and quit, and then you win by <laughs> right. by annoyance. <laughs> by annoyance, yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, yeah that that can be a problem in the game because if a player is not incentivized to play the game. Then, then you may have an issue on your hands. And, yeah. uh, and, and the thing is, I think in like a resource management game, it, it's perfectly legit to build in a strategy where choking out other players is to your benefit if that's the kind of thing you're going for and if you can find a way to make that fun, I guess. But, uh, right, right. but that's, that's a question I guess you have to ask yourself is, is in the course of play, is it actually fun to do this? You know, is, is, right. Or is this just... Uh, uh, are people incentivized to make moves that will help them win, but it doesn't help anybody have fun. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that too, there's even like, let's say that I've played a game a lot and, you know, I go to sit down with somebody else who's played the same game a lot, but we've never played together. Right. And I think I kind of know that strategy. Maybe I try it once. Right. Like, Oh, look what I did. I won. Right. But like now that I've done that with that person, I should never do that again. Like if my wife and I sit down to play Splendor every time and there's like a strategy that will completely screw her over every time and I do it every time uh, and there's no way for her to stop that, she's going to stop playing that game with me and, and frankly, she should stop playing that game with me, right? Because uh, because I, I'm making it not fun on purpose. I'm making winning more important than having fun. You can, you can kind of look at both sides of that though because that could also be a design issue where... Um, there is a particular path to victory that more times than not is going to help you win, but it also goes against the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish in the game. And because Splendor is a game of building and of right. engine building, and, and you try to grow, and um, you know if there's a strategy, if you can just hoard stuff and it helps you win uh, while choking out other players, and, and nobody is getting to do that but you, you know maybe you have an issue there. Well, in, in Splendor is probably a bad example only because that game is really well balanced and anything I can do to screw you over, you can do right back to me, uh, which right. is why the game you know, continues a, to be fun, right? You know, it's a great example of a game that is balanced and uh, has that problem is chess. Oh, right. Yeah, that is. Yeah, because um, I was looking at this the other day um, and because uh, I was reminded that years ago, somebody tried to reinvent chess because of this problem. And it's a problem that still exists. Uh, where at the master level, more than half of games played between two master level players and in the stalemate. Um, because the way that the rules of chess work and the rankings or whatever work, that you are incentivized to play to tie the game and hope your opponent happens to make a mistake so that you can win. Um, wow, that's so, interesting. That I did not know. Yeah, and... and um, Quick little side tangent, you know, somebody tried to fix that. They made a game called Chess 2. Um, <laughs> I don't remember who Harder was to market in it, that but one. it looked really interesting to me because it introduced new rules like you had a variable player set up. Um, there was a new winning condition where if you got your king across the center line of the board, you would win instantly. So if you could, like, protect your king and escort them across the board, you could win. Um, 
and they all have, were really interesting ideas. And the idea was to make chess more variable so that you we kind of get back to playing intuitively rather than memorizing moves. Um, now that was before flip the table started and it has not replaced chess at this point. So um, right. I don't know how successful that experiment was, but if, if you you're know, looking for a game like that though, have you played Onitama? Uh, I have not, but tell me more. Uh, so Onitama is this cool little game. It's a two player game. Um, it's a chess type of game. Uh, uh, the re- what made me think of it was trying to get your guy across the middle line. Um, you're trying to get your, uh, I think you're, it's not your king, but your leader or whatever to um, to the other to a certain spot, right? Um, and instead of you being able to do anything you want, uh, they actually have it so that you can do. Um, there's like five moves in the game, and when I take a move and use it, it then goes back to where it's available to the other player to use. And uh, and the move basically is this is the way you'll move one of your pieces, uh, and they're like the dragon or the crane, right? And and it shows basically how you would move from what space you're in and then how, how you could move and you can turn it whatever way you want. And um, so it's it's fantastic because it basically simplifies chess down to a few pieces um, and allows you to um, allows you to to really just get into the the core of the strategy without having to know a ton, right? Um I highly recommend comes in a really neat little box the way it's built with a cloth board and it, it's fantastic. Um, I do love a neat box. Yeah. So I would, I would highly recommend it. Onitama. Um, Onitama. Really, really good. And I want to say it's not super expensive either. So um, yeah, Rob and I found that a couple of years ago and both of it was an instant purchase for both of us. So um, yeah. Interesting that fact cool. to check that out. Uh, about chess that I was reading about not too long ago was there's a, a couple new play, newer players like new masters, I guess. Um, and they actually will take computer simulations and look for combinations that have never been done in a chess game, in a professional chess game that's been logged between masters. And they will use those strategies, um, knowing what I know now, what you told me, probably attempting to get the other players to make mistakes because they are, when they see these strategies, they've never seen them before. So um, Right, because you've memorized so many moves ahead, you know right. so many different gambits and, and then throws you off balance. Right, kind of like going around the board in Jeopardy. Like uh, you know what category you're going to, but they don't. Right, and they're not in that mindset. Right, right. You know, I'm ready for potpourri, but if they're not, uh oh. <laughs> I'm headed to rhyme time. They're not thinking rhyme time. Right, so their brain right. isn't in that place. That's that's fascinating. That uh, if you, you know they would kind of use technology in that way and and try to do something innovative with chess strategy, a game that's been around for. It's a couple of millennia now, I'm pretty right. sure, or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so uh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I'll have to look into that. Yes, highly recommend. Um, well, hey, uh, this so, has been a good discussion, but we should probably have you pitch a game. You, we probably should. And uh, and I think uh, Rob may have decided that he was sick because I've been kind of hinting at this game a little bit in my Twitter recently, and he may have smelled what was coming and decided oh, no. to just... Oh, no. uh, take the night off no it's uh so i'm gonna start explaining it to you and uh and just stay with me maybe it'll be okay um i will that's a ringing endorsement yeah (laughs) well i gotta have some humility right um so i'm gonna start by saying that this is not a game that i am pitching to publish this is something that i'm kind of working on for myself um because it was a neat idea i had 
And I was like, you know, I'm going to see this through because this could be a fun experiment and it should be easy enough to prototype and make. I've got a uh, prototype about 80% done. I just got to finish awesome. a couple things on the computer and I can try it. Um, and uh, it is a more of a game variant than a game by itself, okay? Because uh, that's one thing that I like to do is kind of play with existing games, kind of like what we're discussing today and see you know, what can you do differently with these games to create a different experience, right? Is it called Chess 2? Uh, no, although I wish it was because uh, <laughs> because that's the best uh, title for a game ever. If they'd wanted um, that to catch on based on current marketing, I would have suggested Chess Dose because Dose seems to be doing very well. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that's, that's I see that game know. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it's really fun. Or so. they could re-release it today and advertise it coming with 32 beautiful painted miniatures and, uh, and then it'd be golden, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh! They yes. wouldn't even have to say anything else. It's just look at these miniatures. That'll be a hundred thousand dollars. I feel like cool me or not should just release chess, give it a different name, not say that it's chess, <laughs> uh, and people would it would make a million dollars on Kickstarter. That would be a great April Fool's joke for them to do. Like I just pull the plug in the last day when people figure it out. Right. Um, oh, that'd be fantastic. So, okay. So, uh, so uh, I'm just gonna say it. This is a hybrid of Yasi and Monopoly. I'm I'm actually really on board with that idea. Okay, okay. So, all right. So, I know everybody's tuned out already, but stay with me. Um, because Monopoly, people say, is a little bit too long. And people say Yahtzee is a little too random, right? Um, right. So, this may uh, address both and come out the other end as a fun game, okay? Um, so, I'm calling this uh, Yahtzee Monopoly Edition. And uh, the idea here is that you're using... Yahtzee mechanisms to collect Monopoly properties, and you would have the best portfolio at the end of the game. Um, so at the end of the game, you're going to count all your properties, your houses, your hotels, and see how much money that you've racked up through the game and see who wins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine a Yahtzee score sheet, okay? And uh, you've, so you've got the ones through sixes, uh, three of a kind, four of a kind. Imagine that each of those rows corresponds to a set of monopoly properties okay um Mm -hmm. so the aces that's your first row that's your brown properties your baltic avenue and mediterranean avenue right and instead of having one column that you're playing on imagine that you have a, a space for each of the properties in that group another space for four houses and another space for a hotel. So looking across, if you're looking in the brown group, you've got Baltic, Mediterranean, four houses, and a hotel. Four spots that you can fill in, right? right? Um, And then each of those spots corresponds to a dollar value that you will collect at the end of the game. And that is the points that you score. Not your die rolls, but uh, the actual dollars you collect. So uh, just abstracting this a little bit, uh, Baltic and Mediterranean are each worth $10 if you can fill them in. Then if you get the four houses, you get 20. Then if you get the hotel on there, you get like 50, right? Cool. So much more much more valuable if you can break into the house and hotel spaces. But the challenge is that you roll your Yahtzee dice as you normally would. You roll five dice. You can choose as many as you want to re-roll. You can do that two times. So you get a total of three rolls. Um, but in the numbered ones, for example, you only count the ones that match that number. So if I got three ones... I would count a score of three and I would mark that in the first box saying that I've now bought that property, right? 
Mm-hmm. If I want to move up the row, the next time I go for that, I need to get something that is higher than my previous roll. Oh, so it gets a yeah. little bit harder every time you move up the chain. So if I'm going for aces, I ideally want to get just one one and mark that in the first one, and then later in the game, go back after it with only a two or a three to give myself the best opportunity to move all the way up that ladder. Right. Um, because because you have to place a number no matter what. So if you get stuck with a tough roll, you may need to put a less optimal number in one of those columns, um, or even a zero if you can't place anywhere. Right. Um, and... Uh, and so that's part of what you're trying to manage is trying to figure out um, first you chase the, the role that you want. Maybe in the middle of your turn, you may need to change strategy based on what's coming up um, and decide where you're going to go after. Um, so, so, so far we're, we're trying to collect properties, the three of a kind and four of a kind that's your um, um, green and blue properties, your high value ones. Mm-hmm. And so you would score those just like a three of a kind or a four of a kind. It's the total value of all your dice. Right. Um, okay. So, so that's your main properties, the ones you build houses and hotels on. Now let's get, add a little bit of juice to it with the other properties. Okay. Sure. Um, full house, uh, is used to build improvements. Um, so you can, once you have gotten all three or two of a color group, uh, then, you can go normally and keep going up the chain with that number. Or if you roll a full house, you can mark an improvement on any of your properties that you're eligible for. Oh, nice. So that's a bit of a wild there. It is. But each time you use it, you have to do a little better than the last time you used it. Right. So it's, uh, it gets a little harder to use each time. Um, then you have your small straight, which is a sequence of four. Um, and, uh, those are your railroads and railroads work a little bit differently. You only score that. And it's like a 100 or a $200 bonus. If you have the most at the end of the game. Nice. Nice. So, um, so if, uh, if I get three and you get two, I get the money. You don't, if we tie, then maybe you both get half as much or something like that. Um, so that's something you have to kind of manage because it'll be a significant enough number that you want to mind it and, and try to get it if you can. Right. Uh, now, um, I haven't quite worked out cause that you can get a total of three railroads that way. I'm thinking that maybe you add all of your dice in that case and not just the sequence. And that way you can have that fourth state of space available to you. Right. Um, the large straight is the utilities. So there's only two combinations you can make that, right? It's like one through five or two through six, right? Um, mm-hmm. if you build a utility, it doesn't give you any money but it gives you one extra die that you can use for the rest of the game. So you get a little bit more utility uh, if you buy the utilities. So, um, so if I'm rolling, I have a two through six, I can build one utility and I'll have six dice for the rest of the game, but now I can't build the other one. Um, because I, I've maxed out. I can't roll anything better than a two through six for that. Um, it's an interesting decision there. If, if you find yourself in a position to maybe get that larger utility, do you just take it and just try to get the er- other die early, or do you push your luck a little bit, try to make the, uh, the smaller straight? Um, and uh, so then you have chance, which in Yahtzee uh, lets you just write a number down. 
uh, and then uh, you don't have to put it anywhere else. I'm thinking you would have one chance box, and you just whatever you score times ten, that's the dollars you get at the end of the game. So it gives you a place to vent one bad roll through the game. Right. Um, and then Yahtzee, I'm thinking, is the free parking space. Um, if you can get a Yahtzee on all of your dice, and that includes bonus dice. So if you have six, you need it on all six. If you have seven, you need it on all seven. Then you get like a $100 bonus, and you can mark a zero in any row, which will reset the score for that. So it'll give you basically a free Ooh. space and make it easier for you to continue building that out because it'll yeah. reset the, the target amount for that. So that could be useful to bail you out if you're in a tough position. Um, so as the game goes on, um, you'll eventually either fill everything up or you'll get to a point where you have to start marking X's. And I'm thinking if you have to place a zero, you put an X in one row and that row is dead for the, uh, for the rest of the game. And uh, you stop the game when a player either fills everything up and then you play even turns or when a player locks three rows and then you just stop there and, uh, and then count your money and see who wins. So that is the, the pitch for... Yahtzee colon Monopoly edition. So first off, that sounds like a lot of fun, and I would I would I would totally play that game. So if you do make a print and play or something of that, let me know because I would totally play. I can't remember what you wish for, Jason. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Um, so things. So uh, I'm going to make some critiques here, not about things you've sure. said because those all make sense. About things that I feel like are missing from Monopoly. Uh, one, you never said community chest, and I feel like you should have a community chest. Uh, okay, fair. Two, how do I go to jail? I feel like I should have to go to jail. Um, and uh, so one thought I had for, all, for that, that piece was well, obviously passing. Uh, maybe go. when you lock out a row, you have a column that's like the the jail symbol, and then you mark that, and that row is in jail or something. So, so maybe that's how you represent that in the game. Who knows? Um, so another thought then would be community chest. Here's just I'm just spitballing an idea here. Like, sure. What if? What if at the end of the... So somehow you feed things into community chest. I don't know how. But at the end of the game, the person with the most X's, so the person who has the most bad rules, wins the community chest, which is something somehow everyone has had to donate to throughout the game. Mm, and then okay. that's a little bit of a catch up. Like, hey, because right with, with the randomness of Yahtzee, like, hey, you had a lot of bad rules. Sorry about your luck. Like, And that could be a strategy to where like, oh, Chris and I are both really close to this and he's got a slight lead. I'm going to try and throw this roll so that I can get the more X's, right? <laughs> but but it could fail for me. So, um, so yeah, maybe that idea is really bad because, uh, I mean, all I know about the game is what you've just told me. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and certainly you want those iconic Monopoly things in there. Like, if you're going to put a theme on there, then you want to get all the things that people are expecting, right? Oh, here, here's an Okay, here's an idea that I think might not be terrible. All right. So on your average uh, uh, roll in Yahtzee, you will have extra dice, correct? Like in this version, you'll still have a die hanging out here or there. Is that correct? Yeah, you'll, you'll have dead dice. Like especially if you're if you're in the early game, like if you're getting the ones and twos and threes, you only want to keep a three so that you give yourself the best chance for the rest of the row. So you'll have some dice just sitting around. So what if um, what if around the outside of your of your little tablet you're filling on there, right? You've got hash marks, and every dead die is you moving along that. And every time you get X number, you collect money from Go. Oh, 
interesting. So, uh, so you could pass go just with the the extra dice that you have sitting around, right? But but uh, I would say you'd have to make the rule that you must score something, right? Because otherwise, mm-hmm. I put an X and oh look, I have you know twenty. Look how far I moved, right? So right. Like you must score something. Um, but uh, you know, just just again, I'm just trying to throw thematic ideas out there, just like I do when Rob pitches. They're not always good ideas, but uh, um, but no, I, I mean, you even uh, like pick one die that you've got there that you have that you didn't use. Yes, right, and, and that's your uh, rule. And advance for... it that way, so that would be, yeah, so yeah. That, that might be a good way to do it. It's like, or like, you know, every two, then you move, something like that. So, right, right. Um, so just, just a thought, and maybe it's not even the value left over, it's however many dead dice you have left over, that's how far you move, right? I mean, it could be which, that. Which right? would be a simple way to do it, right? You wouldn't right. have to count pips and... And, uh, and then you don't have to worry so, about uh, me leaving a six every time, right? Because that actually could be advantageous if I'm trying to keep my numbers lower. So, you know, yeah. True. And, and I think it would uh, kind of ramp things up in the early game. Um, if, you know, because uh, you're, you're obviously going to be um, moving much more quickly in the early game because you're going to be trying to get those lower values. You know, if in the upper sections, you know, you want just a single value. Like you might roll your five dice and then just keep that and start something. Right. Um, so, so then maybe you'd move five spaces in that case, and then uh, so so you're more likely to um, zip around go early in the game than you are later in the game, um, and at least get passing go in there in, in some respect. Because I, I think those are the right. only two things that really are the big iconic things in Monopoly that I don't have is community chest and go. Um, and everything I mean, I else think... I was able to kind of map to Yahtzee in one way or another, but right. And I frankly, I think if you had to pick one, Go is, I mean, that's just so iconic, right? You know? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, heck, if you wanted to really add community chess, you could just double chance and have two of those. You know what I mean? Like, chance, community chess work almost exactly the same. You know oh, my I mean? God. That's such an elegant and stupidly simple solution. Right. So. That you just have two rows, and one is chance and one is community chess, and both let you just vent a battle. Right. And you could score them differently. You know what I mean? Um, right. So maybe one is like all of your dice and one is like 10 times your highest die or something like that. I don't yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right there. So, um, yeah, you know, that's not. Uh, so if you wanted it to actually be community chest, right? Like, so everyone's contributing. It could oh, be that I think I know where you're going here. you put a number for yourself, but then when you fill that, you also have to give a second die. Like your second highest die goes to everyone else, right? And they put it on their board. Um, or if you're playing with three or four players, you have five dice, you can kind of like distribute it around the, the horn and then everybody gets a little something. That's oh, kinda, yeah. Oh, that's no, that's perfect. That's real good. Yeah. That And that gives you some nice player interaction in a game where there's not going to be as much as there normally would. So, you know, a little bit of... And that allows you to be like, okay, well, Chris is way ahead, so I'm going to give him the one... And Jason's way behind, plus he's just so ruggedly handsome, I'm going to give him the six, even though I should keep it for myself. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. That You know what I mean. Yeah, that type of thing. So, Or, or maybe it's even forced. Like, you, you don't necessarily hand out those dice, but it, it goes strictly in descending turn order. So it, it goes six, six, five, three, two. Um, oh, so you have yeah. a little less control over who gets what right. if you choose to take that. So, so you may end up pushing a player who's ahead a little further ahead so you have to decide, is it worth right. doing that or do I, do I, you know, dump it into a row that I don't think I'm going to fill this game. Right. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. I really, seriously, get a print and play of that. I, I want to play that. <laughs> it sounds so much fun. 
You know, if you just yeah. didn't call it Monopoly Yahtzee or Yahtzee Monopoly, that there you go. Like if that just takes standard dice, you could just put that out uh, on pnparcade.com. Don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, and sell <laughs> copies. You could call it like Mono Yachts. Like you yeah. probably have to put a lot of sandpaper on that VIN number to make that work. But, uh, <laughs> just drop the first letter of every of every uh um you know uh, lo- oh, yeah, uh location you know hands. yeah eating <laughs> air road <laughs> ale roads yeah that's great um yeah so so right now it's just uh, something i'm working on kind of for fun and kind of for me and uh you know when when i have a prototype uh put together oh, maybe i'll share it with you if i'm feeling generous no, it's um, I, feel feel free. I mean, if you don't want to, I understand too. But uh, that I mean, honestly, that sounds like a game I would love to play. I'm a big fan of Yahtzee style games. Uh, I'm a too. fan of Monopoly. Particularly and, uh, Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the classics. Yeah, so that's, you know. uh, that's my pitch. That's my uh, board game mashup. Awesome. Well, more of a more of a Yahtzee variant than a board game mashup. But right. But no, fantastic, man. That was uh, that was really that was that was great. Um, you know, uh, builders. If you've got feedback on that, you can always uh, uh, hit Chris up uh, on um, on the Twitters about that. At Table Flips, you in fact, yes. if you want to find me on Twitter. So, um, well, all right. Here we are. We are pretty much out of time. I think here, as Rob would probably tell me right now, he'd be shaking his head like, "Get done. You're running out of time. <laughs> Show's too long." Uh, but hey, this has been a lot of fun, man, and uh, this has been some great conversation here. It's always awesome to have you on the show. Uh, it's great to be on. I'm glad for the opportunity, and uh, and I uh, promise to come back again soon. I I do hope that is true. So um, I've just invited myself. Like I didn't say, "Hey, I hope you have me back." I just said, "Like I'm just going to show up at three in the morning, and we're going to start recording a show." <laughs> I would probably be more up for that than Rob. But uh, <laughs> but no, you are you are always welcome to invite yourself back anytime. Uh, we love having you on the show, and uh, it's always good content. Uh, so you know, it's a lot of fun. My pleasure. I really hanging out. That. So uh, as Chris said, uh, you can reach him at Table Flips U uh, on the Twitter. I'm at J A Slingerland. Rob, if you care, is at Poorly Underscore Designed. Um, you could uh, email us uh, at seven seven zero. No, that's that's our phone number. You can email us at buildingthegatepodcast at gmail.com or or you could call us at 770-TELEBTG. That is our preferred method of contact, though most of you jerks don't use it. Um, yeah. You can also, oh, we're on Twitter at PodcastBTG, Facebook, um, like us on iTunes, um, and all these things. Uh, I don't know if you heard, I, I mentioned this on a previous episode, but this is my favorite thing ever. My Our best review we've ever gotten on iTunes ever um, was, was a, a five-star review. These guys sound like my uncle. <laughs> like I wanted to print that and frame it. Like that is. I want to hug that review. Yeah, I know. Like I want to. I'm putting that on every job resume I have going forward. Just you know. Put that person as a reference. Right. right. <laughs> I sound like this guy's uncle, uh, and I want to say his name was like Tasty Mullet or something like that. So, yeah, something Mullet. I don't remember, but uh, but good for that guy. So, um, anyways. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, man. Thanks again for being on. And, uh, yeah. All right. I'm good night. I'm, I'm good night. Yeah. Hey. Yeah.
Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast. Next time on Building the Game. All right. You know, I think you need a. Uh, I think you need a, a jingle for the uh, for the phone number. Maybe that'll get people to start using it. Dial seven seven zero tell BTG. Tell BTG, please don't use the email. Pah. <laughs>